Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Do you want to know what it's like to die? Welcome to episode number 74. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Reverend Peter Panagor. He's a spiritual author and survivor of two death experiences in his life. Today, we're going to talk about those, one of them which happened in 1981 and another one that happened in 2015. But then we have to discuss all the mystical and wonderful and amazing things that happened in between, including a story of helping a dying man after a car accident on the side of a road. So sit down or lay down and relax, and let's begin. Peter, welcome to the Inner Peace Podcast. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So when you were 21 years old, you say that you died. You were climbing a mountain in Canada, and it was cold out, and you say that you ended up exhaustion, hypothermia. Take me to the side of that mountain to your last breath. It had been a really long night of exposure and frostbite and hypothermia. And by the time we were clipped into the mountain uh, on our last rappel and unable to move, the rope was jammed. Mm. I went through the last stages of hypothermia. I opened my coat. I got colder, thinking I was hot. And I began to fall asleep. And I would collapse and pull myself back up again because I was strapped into the mountain. It was harnessed. I had a harness and I was strapped into the mountain. Right. I pull myself back up to the ledge and and then I, it happened a bunch of times. And then I stood up this last time from having fallen asleep. And as I stood up, I got tunnel vision, like a like a spotlight on a stage going fade to black rapidly wide i had a very wide black ring around my entire peripheral vision and then it narrowed down in seconds and i watched it go and as it closed to blackness i still retained consciousness which was different from when i fell asleep i knew that i had fallen asleep right and now i'm i've blacked out but i'm i'm i don't feel myself standing but I don't feel myself falling mm. and I feel myself conscious and I was confused. The confusion didn't last long. Uh, what I did next was look out into the horizon and see this incredibly vast, infinite darkness that I'd never seen before. Mm. It, it filled space and beyond space. It was extraordinarily other and I stared out and as I stared out 
I saw far, far in the distance a pinprick of light, like an infinity away. And this pinprick of light rushed to me across this vast distance, faster than the speed of light. And it filled my, it did, it filled my entire view. It it was this paradox of not only filling my entire view as it rushed toward me, it was also very specific at the same time. So it was both, both immense and tight. And its tightness was this like communi- this communication to me of intelligence and power. And it spoke without language to me. I'm taking you and I resisted. I didn't know what was going on, but I wasn't going. And it in it my resistance, it had no effect at all. I, I put up all the strength I had and it was nothing. It just came and, and communicated this to me and enveloped me and took me. And then I knew I was inside this, like a, a enwrapped in an, in, in an intellect, like an intellect I can't describe to you, mm. that was also comfortable. I was no longer concerned about what had just happened. Right. My resistance was gone, and I was carried up the tunnel, but the tunnel was this wide infinite space but a narrow channel as well and i traveled this great distance and no distance at all i it was this sort of instant transportation so it didn't feel like it took forever it felt like it took no time at all and the next thing i knew i was inside i was sort of popped into or left in or enveloped by or the or the entity the i call this the my angel of death um either it, i was left in this space or it expanded to the the whole space itself i can't really i i i often say i popped into it but the truth more to the truth is i don't really know hmm. what happened i just it was it it just and it was it was this this entity that carried me was sort of the the totality that I could experience of the of the infinity as it carried me, mm-hmm. and when I was in then I was in this I was in this darkness I was in the middle of this eternal darkness that was I could see in every direction it was dark and illuminated at the same time, and I could not see the end of it. Go ahead. Your awareness is still there. I was aware that I was suddenly myself and I had not been myself, that my previous sense of awareness uh, was not my true self. It was, this, it was my, my, myself that was a, a mask I wore, a costume, a clothing. Uh, a, I, I shed that and I was suddenly content with being who I'd always been and had forgotten. And I was, so I was, I, my awareness was, was that and my awareness was also, all these things were one thing. My, my awareness of my consciousness and the fact that I could see in every direction, they weren't separate things. It wasn't right. like I had a pair of eyes going into a brain. It was like my consciousness was self-aware and could see at the same time. Can't see your hands. Had body, no hands. Body gone. Body gone. No DNA. No, yep. here, and here's the, here's, here's the thing I've, been, I've not been saying very clearly because I didn't, it scares people, um, because it is no thing. It is nothing. Nothing, no thing. This yeah. is nothing. I'm in, and they're like, how can God be nothing? What's, how, how can it be? Well, because 
it's beyond my capacity to explain it. All I know is that I had no molecules and there were no quarks and no muons. There was no galaxies. There was no nothing. But there was everything. And it was all around me. And, and as I became aware of my true self, and so people say to me, um, when my soul goes to heaven, that, that was not my experience. My soul does not go to heaven. I go to heaven. That's me. This gets left behind. This body gets left behind. And so I then, and I tell this story in a sequence of events, but there's no time. This is, I am not only in no thing, I am in no time. Because time and space are, yep. you know, they're together. You get time, you get space. You get no space, you got no time. And so this is all time and no time at the same moment. And it's not like it's, it's not, it's, when I say it's timelessness, it's not like, like a, a, uh, an episode of the twilight zone where everybody stops moving and you're able to move between people because you're in between the second. It's not like that at all because it's, because it's all time all time and, and time is not just this this linear thing that runs out from the beginning of the big bang it's like there are there's more to it than that and and so i i pick a sequence to tell the, to tell the story but it's not it all happened at once gotama the buddha and his ancient sutras always use the word nothingness it is nothingness nothingness it is nothingness, and it's not. It's a fullness of nothingness. It's a. It's a. It's it's paradoxical. The, the, anything. So people say to me, "Well, God must have a reason for whatever that thing is," and I say, "If you think that your capacity for reasoning is the same as God's, then no. The answer is no. If you're equating a reason for something to happen, then no, I disagree. But if you're saying that." The, the capacity of God's reason is a capital R and, and so far beyond our ability to understand that I say, yes, okay. The complexity of it, of the, of the, of the, the possibility of existing in paradox. So this is, this is a nothingness and this is a fullness at the same time. And, and I was unafraid. I was absolutely content. Sure. sure. No, they say many gurus, mystics, Many have said that, you know, when you die, they use the analogy of taking off a pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah. There's a really old shoes. There's a relaxation to it. Yes. There's a relief yep. to it. That's exactly right. The fear that comes with death is ego based, right? We just don't, yeah. we don't well, want to drop our, our story, our life. Our illusion. Yes. Yes. And I, my illusion was gone. And then I, I, as I said, I tell this in a sequence, there was like a portal opened in front of me. Um, and this portal could be um, described in lots of different ways, but it was, a, it was an opening. And this opening had a, a, an, a, an infinitely long arcing tunnel that I could see through it to somewhere else. And the, and the surface of this tunnel was transparent, translucent, and solid at the same time. And it was this flowing sort of, it was flowing. There was this flow to it. And I could see clearly through it as if it wasn't there. 
I could see the flow of it, uh, uh, sort of the depth. I could see into the flow of it. So say, I, this is totally wrong of me to use numbers because there are no numbers there, but say it's like a foot thick and I can see uh, that entire inside of that. And then I could see the surface on top all at the same time. And, and so I was attracted to this thing and I touched it with the orb of my consciousness and it flowed into me. And it turned out that the very surface of this, the very flow itself was the presence of the Holy Divine, the, the, uh, the all and all, the overwhelming oneness of being, the totality of all light and love and beauty, joy, truth, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, all of this came f flowing into me and I heard my soul name called. I knew that I was known and it was, there was no language and I, and it, it wasn't the name Peter that I wear. I have Peterness here. This is my Peterness. The skin I'm living in is not what I'm talking about. The this, this soul name was, is unpronounceable to me. It's the, it's the thing that called me into being. It's the thing that made my soul exist. Not my Peter exist. Peter is like this afterthought thing. It was really the, I could see, I saw the, the birth of my soul. I could see the, the, the moment of, my, of being called into being. And there was, there was this long, uh, everlasting nature, not quite eternal nature of my soul, but the, the essence of my being is eternal because it's part of the much larger whole. So I'm both limited from it and unlimited to it. Um, and, and, and I'm separated from it in this limitation. And I knew I was creature made by creator. And when I say that, people are like, well, you know, all creatures of God, the winged ones and the feathery ones and the, you know, the four-footed ones, and that's true. But this is something different. This is the very essence of the consciousness itself is creature. And, and that, uh, that created, um, made, and I... And, and I could see other lives. I could see other lives and they, in timelessness, they were, I think, concurrent because my soul exists in timelessness. So are you saying you saw your Akashic records? I guess, yeah, I could use Akashic records. I could use that, that language. I can't see them now. I saw them and, and I'm not even sure that those lives were lived in this reality. I can't see that now. So all I know is that that none of them were me. None of these lives were me. I'm only this soul. I then went through an experience of hell, the, the hell of my own making as Peter and all the suffering I gave away in my life. I, it was my karma. I, everything I gave away, I got to keep. Everything I gave away. Everything. All the love I gave away, I got to keep that too. All the suffering I gave away, I got to keep that too. And in order for me to have the fuller experience, I can say after the effect, uh, because at the time I didn't know this, in order for me to enter more fully into the heaven, I had to lose the baggage, things I can't bring with me. I can't go in there carrying these things. And so it was like a, I went through my life review. My life review was to go through the sequence of events of my life every single time I hurt somebody in my life. From I intended to hurt them and I didn't intend to hurt them. And I, and I saw it from inside their lives. I didn't see it from my, I saw it from my point of view too, but I saw it from inside their lives while I was seeing it from my point of view. And, I, and my point of view included my rationalizations for causing their pain. Oh, she hurt me, I'm gonna hurt her back. 
whatever, you know. And it turned out that all the pain I gave away was 10,000 times greater than ever I had imagined it would be. And that the amount of suffering, because because I got to, because the, the karma I carried with me was much bigger, had more weight to it than I ever imagined. Yeah. And, and simultaneous to this experience, there was also the voice with no sound that was all of this vast expanse of eternity sort of concentrated next to me but i couldn't see i couldn't see the speaker of the voice because it was all this and yet the voice was right next to me outside of me and very much inside of me saying i love you i made you i forgive you and so while i'm going through this hell i'm being i, I go through this hell i find myself guilty of all these things i can see very clearly that I, I was wrong with these things. I, I, and I knew that the knower with a capital K knew me. There was no place in me that was hidden. And so uh, and as this is going on, I also see all of humanity. And I see all of humanity inside the matrix of the structure, not of Earth, but of the entire universe. And that the structure of the entire universe it's n and is not my fault that I caused this pain. Yes, I chose willful action. And yes, I accidentally hurt people. And for those things, I carried the karma with me. But the origin of it is not my fault. I didn't create darkness in the world. I didn't create the universe. I'm part of it. And so that was there's this great equality of, of the nature of the suffering that we cause each other in comparison to the infinity of the design of the divine mm. and the love that was coming into me and the love that was given to me i was cleansed i was emptied of all of this burned away and then the fullness entered me which is is like all those things i mentioned plus adoration and bliss and healing and wholeness healing end of suffering i forgot what pain was I, I, suffering, it wasn't like I, I remembered my suffering. I didn't remember my suffering. It was gone. It was emptied. And I was totally infilled with the, one, with the oneness of being and yet still a separate entity. Mm. And it was, I was still, because infinity is so great, it's so vast that even in that aware and uh, it, enlightened space, I was still less than. I was still creature created. Beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I, I get a conversation. I say, am I dead? And the voice says, you're dead. And I say, but my parents are suffering because my sister had run away and vanished and broke my family and in a long, bad way. Hmm. And I, if I go, my parents are going to suffer the loss of a second child. And my mom already was in a serious way mm. as a result. And so I was swept across heaven to the edge of the universe where the universe and heaven intersect. And I was still sort of above looking down and I could see earth like a hologram. And I could see every single human being all at once all doing their thing in a, a particular time. At that moment when I was on the mountain, I could see everybody, every single, every single soul. And every single soul was illuminated by the light of the divine inside them. And they could see it not 
because everyone was under a veil of forgetfulness of blindness and they were and there were wars going on and people making love and babies crying and everything in human everything's going on and 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 i can see the veil and the voice says to me in this infinity voice that has no sound but much larger than when it was forgiving me it says to me in the way that I love you now with this this immensity of love that is 10 universes times a trillion, so infinite, I, I have always loved you. My love it was, is, and always will be. And because of my love, no one is lost. No one is lost and all is well, all has been well and all will be well. And now you know that timelessness is reality. And and time is illusion. And your parents, who I could see their faces, and I could see the length of their life without me and their suffering. Mm. And I could see the length of their life with me and less suffering. And I was sure I was shown these things. And then I then I asked whether I had to stay. Mm. And the voice said, I want you to stay, it's your time, essentially. Come home, my beloved. And mm -hmm. I could see that I was the beloved of God. Mm -hmm. I was the most important soul ever made. And simultaneously, I could see that every single human being was just the same as me. Yeah. Every single one, the most beloved. And I know that that sounds paradoxical. Not to me. I mean, we're, we're all made of the same stuff. We are totally made of the same stuff. Dying is essentially a part becoming going back to the whole yes it is yeah it is and like a so wave hmm? like a like a wave going back into the ocean <laughs> yep folding back in yep i was just down at there's a gale going on where i live and the waves are huge i was just witnessing that yeah and um i know psychically i that happens it does it does and 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 that's a beautiful thing when it does well, go ahead. You're you're in the nothingness. You're having the conversation, and and our I, I believe a a mutual buddy of ours, John Scott. John Scott had his near death experience, and he also had a conversation with this source. He did source. Yeah, good word. I say, can I, if I go back to life, can I come back here to heaven, and you? And source says, yes, but it's not, I don't want you to go back. And I say, but I haven't gone through the door yet, this portal. And the vo and voice says, no. And I say, do I have to? Voice says, no, you don't have to. I say, I choose to live my life. And the voice says, you won't live your life. Sends me back. And on the way back, I'm suddenly swept out. There's a... I see in front of me uh, a, a million different sort of like tubes, openings, and they're all stacked like a big cable. And I get to choose which tube to enter. And there's all these different entry points back into my life. And there's uh, like a concentration in the middle of the pure beam of the white light. And I don't go there. I go off to the side. And I think to myself as I, as I, cause I only have a split second to make this choice. Mm. And so in, in timelessness, okay. So this is paradox, right? I'm, I, you know, so 
I, I make this choice. I go off to the side of the purity of the light, but I'm close. I'm close to the light and I end up back in my body. I get crushed down. I feel myself getting reduced in size. Like before I get to my body, I'm being crushed, like smushed, like, like a compactor in a, at, a, at an auto parts, mm. you know, in a junkyard. And, and it felt like I was being screwed back into my heart. Um, like on a big screw, like a, and, and it would hurt me. I felt like an H twist as I into my body again, I was in suffering. And so my first experience of the world is, was the, my whole existence, everything hurt. I didn't even know what my hands were or my feet were. I couldn't comprehend those things. All I knew was, was pain. And so I'm in pain and, and, and I'm in swimming. I'm in, I'm a consciousness filled with pain and I forget immediately the loss of the, the healing. The healing is gone. The healing, the healing is gone. I'm, I'm now back in the world and I sort of float to consciousness. I sort of, my brain sort of comes back online again and I start to, you know, my hands hurt. I don't know what their hands, I don't know the word for them, but these things hurt and my, my feet, they hurt, my body hurts and, and my whole, my whole, the whole thing is shaken. And, and as I kind of swim up to consciousness and I open my eyes, I hear sound. I hear sound that I don't comprehend as language. And I, and I sort of look up and I see this, this thing, I, which is a human being, my climbing partner, but I don't know it's a human being. I can't name it as a human being. I, I, I don't know what it is. And, it's, and I, it's got a hold of this body that I'm in and it's shaking and it's screaming and my ears come back on and my eyes come back on. And I start to see him as a person and I hear screaming, You're, you were dead, you were dead. If you die, I'm going to die. And, and he helps me back up. And I, I'm now like, what just happened? Wow. And where am I? And what is this thing that I'm in? I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm utterly baffled. Like a, like a baby almost. Like a, like a baby. A baby. Only I'm 150 feet up, a right. into a mountain. And so I'm still in this desperate situation and it's still hours before dawn and it's freezing out. And we're, we have, we have one rappel left to get down to our tent and um, for hours, for hours in this position, all night long, there was a whole series of terrible things that happened. This was, the, this was the last terrible thing of a very terrible night, that the rope had become jammed on my first pull when we reached this rappel and had been stuck for hours, which is why we died. I died there. And, and the rope came free on the first pull and we descended. And uh, given my, you know, my ski patrol training, we, I had, my brain came back on pretty good. I was like, okay, we can't, we can't just get in the car. Tim, Tim was like, we should get in the car and fire it up because we're on the Saskatchewan River. The Saskatchewan River runs down through Banff Provincial Park in Western Canada and on the Icefields Parkway. And, and next to the river is the parking lot and across the street is this climb. So our tent's inside the car. So my brain came back online enough to know that we shouldn't just jump in the car and fire up the heater. We, had to, we warmed ourselves up for a couple of hours and then we, we kind of brought our temperature up slowly and then we got in the car and then, and then I began to live out this life that was not my own anymore. When God said to me, you won't live your life, I had no idea what the deal I was making. Yeah, there's no way life can be the same after that. Nope. How did death teach you that it was just the beginning? 
Well, from that moment on for the next 20 years, all I wanted to do is die every day. Wow. Every day I had basically two prayers, the prayer of my meditation and my yoga in order to drive my consciousness deeper into myself and God, it's a good day to die. Let me go home today. And so the timeline that I had been living, it ended. I, I came back and my whole life changed direction. My parents, I saw what my parents would have been living without me. And that's what was going to happen. And I, ch I chose to come back as if God didn't know. You know, omnipotence still gave me choice. I still had agency. It's this complex question of, did I have agency? Did I really choose? Well, I did. So the timeline changed and, and, and my life changed. I, I was an alien and in a, in a, I was a stranger in a strange land mm -hmm. to use the, the biblical uh, motif. My understanding is that you wanted to learn more. So you enrolled in Yale Divinity School, right? I was going to be an architect. I got into Georgia Tech and architecture for graduate school. Yeah. And I, and I kind of also applied to divinity school. And I, and I did the architecture thing because that was the goal of my family my whole life. But I'm like, I got to figure this thing out. I came back. So I came back with this, this, I came back with a mission. And now I'm finally feel like I'm able to talk about it. I came back uh, to be a messenger for the message. I'm not the only one but I am definitely one of them. This roaring, roaring ocean of just message, speak my message, you are the, and it's no language. And so there's no language with this. I, I don't know how to say it. I'm like, right. mouth open, right. no sound. Yeah, language can't explain this stuff anyway. So I went to divinity school to study um, mysticism across the university and I ended up uh, doing an independent study under the Dean of Admissions for three years, sort of on the down low, nobody knew about it. First of all, I'm from Connecticut. So Yale is 45 minutes from where I'm talking to you right now. I didn't even know there was a divinity school. Oh, it's, oh, I say, it's the first part of Yale. <laughs> yeah, and so I just learned about this when I was looking up information on you. And I'm like, wow, I, I might have went there 10 years ago if I had known about this. But hmm. I didn't know, even when I went on their website and I looked through the curriculum a little bit. They don't have mysticism, do they? No, that's <laughs> what I was just going to say. They do not. So, so, so I, I, got into, I got into Yale and I got into Princeton. And I was going to choose Princeton because Princeton actually has a, a dedicated professor of mysticism. Yale at the time had Henry Nouwen, and Henry Nouwen is a living mystic, or was, mm. and he was a Catholic priest, um, and, and so I'm like, I'm going to go study with Henry Nouwen, and so I get to campus the very first freaking day, and I go looking for his office, and it turned out that during the summer he went to Harvard, and so now I'm like, <laughs> what do I do? So I went to the dean, and I said, you know, I know that the school doesn't teach this, um, but this is my interest. I didn't tell her why I was doing this. Um, can you work with me? And so she, and her name is Joan Forsberg, and she, she's still alive. She's like 90-something, sharp as a, sharp as a, as a tack. Um, and I said, can you help me? And she said, I'll, 
if you look across the university and find classes, and there were professors who, who were teaching mysticism, this guy named Louis Dupre is one of them. I began to construct, plus I'm doing all the theology and all the other classes too. So, so basically each semester that I was there, she let me do an independent study or I would get a professor. Uh, she, she found money to hire a professor for me and we created a class. Other, other students came to it, but it was really my thing. I, I, I found the professor. I, f I helped her set this whole thing up. And so um, then I wrote uh, basically a dissertation. You don't have to write a dissertation at Divinity School to get your master's, but I, I spent an entire semester writing a dissertation. Um, on mysticism. That was my, that was what this last class I, uh, I took was. Uh, so the last class I took with was with her um, under the tutelage of this, this other uh, professor. And so I studied it on my own. And the reason why I did it is because I needed a language to think about it. And so I figured if I studied the history of Western classical mysticism, I would be able to construct a way to think about what had happened to me and I'd be able to pick up tools to find out how to find my way back and and it wasn't just the divinity degree uh, I uh, was also reading outside of Christianity I was just going to say that uh, you could go find an Indian guru as well and go that route well I, I almost did the first semester I came back to because uh, I was a, an exchange student in Montana when I came back to UMass Amherst, where I was an undergraduate in the English department, I took a class, and but it was comparative, the comparative mysticism East and West, and it was in the comparative literature department, not, not my department. And in that class, I read across mysticism East and West, and I went to the professor. We were go, we, we, he took us on a zazen sashin mm -hmm. at the local Trappist monastery, which happens to be the place where they developed centering prayer which was a compilation of, of, of con their contemplative life, Zazen and, uh, and TM. Thomas right. Keating. Thomas Keating, Basil Pemmington, uh, Theophane Boyd, who became my spiritual director yeah. um, over the years. So, so he takes us on this retreat. But, but I, go to, I go to him in, in office hours and I say, Professor, I've got this friend had this experience and I, he probably knew I was talking about me and lying, but he didn't let on. And I've got this friend um, and had this experience and wants to pursue mysticism. What, what should he do professor? Uh, and the professor who happened to be a Catholic deacon says, uh, is your friend Christian? Uh, I say, my friend was Christian hmm. before this happened um, and now has no religion. Um, but, he said, but the context of their culture is Christian, raised in the United States, in Massachusetts, maybe. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, so we established that this person has a, is in a Christian context and a Christian culture. And he says, so here's the thing. You could, you could go to India and study with a guru. Um, and I had been reading Paramahansa Yogananda. Right. So, so that was in, in the Buddha and Plato and all these other books. Sure. And so he said, inside of all the major religions are strains of mysticism. Yeah. And if it's a, if it's a mythology and uh, that you're looking for, if it's a mythology that you're looking for, mm -hmm. so if your friend has a, a, a needs to study mysticism and that person's looking for a mythology and framework, stay in the context of your culture, stay in the context of the culture because you're not going to have to learn Sanskrit, right? You're not going to have to learn the culture that surrounds this 
and all the mythology that they grow up in in India. I mean, they have cartoons about Krishna. I mean, I didn't see cartoons about Krishna going up. They're, they're pretty great. They're excellent. <laughs> they're excellent. They're excellent cartoons, yes. In the movies, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd be doing, he said, your friend would be doing a lot of catching up, whether it's Japan or China or India. If your friend wants it, you can, the, your friend can find it right within Christianity. And right. so that's right. why I chose that route. Right. Right. Um, Mysticism. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to be a mm-hmm. rabbi. Like, it's just, you, you could do it in your room if you want. <laughs> and the, and the temple of your heart. And the temple of your heart. So when did you become a reverend? So at the, at the end of this three year thing at divinity school, divinity school of masters is a three year program. And so at the end, at the end of the second year, my dean says to me, so what are you going to do with your, with your studies? I said, well, I'm going to get it. I'm going to go get my doctorate. I'm going to get my doctorate. I'm going to study mysticism East and West. I've got this, I've got this idea to study the intersection in Indonesia where Christianity, Islam and uh, Confucianism and Taoism all kind of mixed up in one place. So Mm -hmm. this idea that I would go down there and do my dissertation, do my thesis down there. And, but, but maybe at Yale or, or, or at Harvard. And uh, or Princeton, one of those places. And um, she said, you know, uh, I've been watching you all these years. I think you'd make a great pastor. Mm. I'm like, a, a pastor? She says, yeah, I just think you ought to give it a try. So I, I say, okay. Um, I take the polity class, which is like the politics of, of, my, of the, my denomination, which is not, I'm not really a denominational person, but the denomination I eventually uh, entered. And at the end of that, third year all the young seminarians were uh, not all of us there were three of us i took a lot of preaching classes i took extra preaching classes so was, i got pretty good at it pretty quick and so i was offered it was like three or four of us were offered to preach some sunday in front of all the, the local clergy people and i did and i got recruited and i got recruited to this church and and then i got ordained and i made a deal with god i'd stayed out 3 years and at the end of 3 years if this didn't work out i was out of there back to graduate school doctorate i'm at, i'm at, that's what i'm after and so it started out as an as like a a 12 month position and then they voted me to 3 years so it's like suddenly i'm i'm in the deal i get 3 year contract not extendable and at the end of that i was done i was out of the church but we got pregnant and I, my wife's grant had ended. She was working at Yale Medical School under a grant. And, you know, in those days, if you're pregnant, you can't get a job. And so when the, when the grant ended, she couldn't get into another gig. And I had to get a job. The only thing I could, I, the only thing I could do, the baby's coming and there's no stopping it. I got I to gotta stay in the church. So that's what I did. This is a topic that comes up a lot on this podcast. You are in the Christian tradition. You're a reverend. Yet, you have a vast understanding of mysticism. And so this is very uncommon for the, <laughs> Christian, for the Christian tradition. I'd say. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I released my first book, I had a, and it's a book on health, but there was a, a, a chapter because I met a mystic in 2012 and he changed my life. And... So I had, you know, a little bit and piece of that in my book. And I remember a Christian lady telling me, I can't read your book. Yeah. Because the word mystic is in it. Yep. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because yep. the <laughs> revelation d- ended. Boom. You don't, you don't know what a mystic is, clearly. Nope. 
clearly not. So how do you intersect these two avenues that don't really necessarily go together traditionally? Well, I would argue historically that they do go together traditionally. That's why there's a huge amount of literature all through the the flowering during the Middle Ages, why there were mystics all over Western Europe. Zohar Zohar, and and other books as well. There was a flowering that was going on. And so, uh, but in, but once, once the, uh, the intellectual, the, the age of enlightenment came and science became dominant and I'm a science head. Okay. Just to make sure your your listeners know this, I read science articles every day, three or four of them. I'm totally up on I'm totally up on what's going on. I love science. When science came online, uh, it developed in the West two forms of Protestantism. Basically, you get your evangelicals that reject science altogether. Yeah, and then you get your mainline Protestants that. Um, utilized the tool sets of scientific thinking and instituted them into the church in the critical thinking and historical uh, examination. It's called uh, hermeneutics and exegesis. So they use a historical critical context of the wider culture to do the, the forensic work on the scriptures. So they're totally using scientific thinking. But they ca- both groups cast out God, the experience of God the direct experience of God. And so when I got ordained, I kept my mouth shut. I kept this a secret for 20 years. Mm. I kept my mouth shut through the entire first ministry as the associate, the second ministry on this island off the coast of Maine. I kept it a secret the whole time because who is gonna listen to me? But but, but here's here's the great blessing of it, okay? So I knew that Wordsworth and Blake and Cooler, uh, Wordsworth and Blake and Emerson and Thoreau all went to divinity school. And, and, and that they, they practiced writing. So as a minister, I got to practice my writing every week. I got to do research so I could research anything I wanted to. So I continued my mystical studies while I'm working. And, uh, and I could meditate and do yoga every day because no one's going to say, what, do you, what are you doing? Well, I'm praying. And so I got to continue my entire inner life in the public view and nobody knew. Right. I only, I only seek the oneness of being. Everything I do is all about the interconnectedness. And, and the deeper I go into the oneness of being, the deeper I connect to, to, the, to the unity that I know exists and is real, then the, the more my life around me becomes magical. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and so it's like this big bubble of support. I get this big bubble of support around me all the time yeah. that I was going to tell them the truth finally. And I and tell them that I'm not a believer. I have no belief. I am not a Christian. Mm. I am not. I have no faith at all. I mm. have zero doubt. Say it. I am a hundred percent know <laughs> that I'm known by the knower. And God had no religion. Yes. And so you were playing. You were playing a role. I was playing a role. Hey, I play the role of doctor. <laughs> you got to do something when you're on stage. That's right. That's right. So, how could you? be Christian. You're, you're coming face to face with source. You're realizing that human beings have created these political systems we call religion that are, you know, but the truth is the truth, whether you're Hindu, Christian, or yep. Buddhist or atheist. Yep. Even atheists find out. Oh yeah. Big time. And, and atheists who have near death experiences, they don't come back as atheists. No. John Scott is one of them. John Scott's one of them. 
he was on this podcast, episode 48. And yep. uh, yeah, he's one of them. Many atheists. In fact, atheists might have an even more open mind to it. Oh, some of my best friends are atheists because they're the most spiritual people I know, even though they deny it. Yes, yes. They say, Peter, you just have the God madness. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you, I do. <laughs> so piggybacking off this, here's a big question for you. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Is Yeshua... Jesus the Christ, is he the son of God or is he a great mystic? I'm not sure whether he has to be either or. I, I think that they deified him. Is okay. Jesus God? If the answer is yes, Jesus is God, is God eternal? Yes, God is eternal. Then how did Jesus die on the cross? Mm. And so, you know, there's this, when he's outside the tomb of Lazarus, he, he prays out loud and says, look, I'm praying out loud for them to hear me because I pray to, I pray to you in silence usually. Um, and, I, and I want them to know that I only do what I see you doing. And on the cross, he says, uh, lama, lama, thabakhtani, why have you abandoned me? Yeah. How can God abandon God's self? And so they deified Jesus and they totally missed the message. You, it, I have no trouble with resurrection because I think there's physics we don't understand. I know there's physics we don't understand. Yeah. I know that's true. And so did he rise from the dead? Yeah. Did I rise from the dead? Yeah. yeah. Did 10 million of us rise from the dead in the United States and around the world, hundreds of millions? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what do we come back with? We come back with the message of love. What was Jesus teaching? Love. Love. And so... And there's the scene when he's up on the mountaintop and he's like, it's called the transfiguration where he becomes an illuminated being of light yes. and two other illuminated beings of light show up. Yeah. I've been in presence of illumination. Yes. Um, and so I, could, could Jesus, let's expand this even bigger and say the, every single Christian church that has developed politically down through the centuries and still exists, believe that they have a lock on the truth. And that the Coptics think the Catholics and the Orthodox are all heretics and the, and the Protestants too. And it works across all of these groups. So let's, let's think about the, that huge cataclysm that killed all the dinosaurs and, and allowed the mammals to develop. Now, what if that on another star system missed and the dinosaurs become sentient beings and they're like reptilian Right. And, and they've got culture and art and make babies and war and all the stuff we do, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, can Jesus come to them? Mm. They don't even have the same DNA. Mm -mm. So they can't. So is it only, is it only your tiny little group on this far edge of this galaxy yeah. on the edge of the super galaxy <laughs> and all the 13 billion you know, light years, you're saying you're the special group. Right. Well, you, you know, it's the Roman empire, the Roman empire hijacked the oh, story yeah. and they disseminated it amongst the people 300 years later. And that's Christianity. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like gaining power through political and religious alignment. If one understands mysticism and what a mystic is, then it's much easier to understand something like the Sermon on the Mount oh, or, yeah. Je or Jesus teaching just in general and yep. definitely understand someone like Gautama, the Buddha. Yes. Or Bodhidharma. Lao Tzu. I said Bodhidharma, the Zen Bodhidharma. first Zen master. Yes. That's right. I know. I know. Yeah. And so it, once, you know, a mystic understands a mystic. Takes one to know one. Right.
And, and you don't need a near-death experience to be a mystic. No, that is not, what the history shows. Not at all. Just some firsthand experience. It's all about experience. <laughs> Into the mysterious. Into the mysterious, the capital M. A building on what you just said, I started this thing on my YouTube channel called Not Church. Mm. And basically, it's a mystic's examination of the sayings of Jesus. Because he, what they say he said is not at all what he meant. He's a code switcher. He yeah. speaks two languages at the same time. Yep. And, and it's easy to hear code switching when you're you know, up on the, uh, the Quebec border and they're speaking English and French in the same sentence. Mm. Um, but it's hard to, to hear that when he's only speaking Aramaic, but he's also weaving in metaphor. So he's always code switching between physical world and metaphorical world. I like to tell people that Jesus was more of a poet Oh, yeah. And Buddha was more of a scientist. Sure. And Buddha broke it down like a professor. Yeah. For 42 years. I mean, there, yep. weren't, there, weren't, there weren't whiteboards back then. <laughs> you see the whiteboard behind I me? I see it back there. But if someone like Siddhartha Gautama had a whiteboard, yep. man, that would have been pretty. It would have been, it would have been like all outlined. <laughs> It, it, everything that Einstein and Tesla, I mean, he, he was just incredible in that way. And then someone like Lao Tzu was just so simple, yep, just earthly. But Christianity seems to be dissolving. It's dissolving right now because people are having small awakenings of religion being, you know, nonsense in a certain way. And, all the young people who have LBGTQ friends. Yeah. And, or they are themselves. Right. They're all flocking out. They're like, no. Right. My friend who is so lovely and kind and beautiful is going to hell because their genetics predisposed them to right. being a, a lesbian. I don't right. think so. Yeah. I have a buddy who grew up evangelical i mean the whole nine yards the on stage holy roller faint the whole the whole nine yards he grew up in that mm -hmm. and um you know as soon as he was old enough he out <laughs> out out i i wish that more western folk understood eastern mysticism because hinduism and buddhism and jainism uh i'm not going to say that they're you know hundred percent, but they're just so much more on par. Well, they have a, a more highly developed symbolic system, I think, than we do. Um, and, and it's easier to pick apart the, um, the stories that they tell because they, because they understand that it's all, it's, it's so, de, it's so delineated. It's so delineated, I guess. It's more like Buddha. It's like every, you know, every God has this certain aspects of the holy oneness of being. And they kind of personify that in this person, you know, Ganesh and Shiva and all these things. And it just makes it easier to grasp, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Somewhere in your story, you die again. I do. I, I died in 2015 of a heart attack, a genetic thing in my family. And um, <sighs> it killed my grandfather, killed my sister. Uh, what it killed my dad uh, did kill me. And so I was, I was fit. And, but it, it has nothing to do with fitness and, and diet. So nothing you can do about it, really. So where were you when the heart attack hit? I go to yoga class. I grab my mat and I dash to class. 
and I get to class late and it's summertime and the room is filled, but the teacher's a friend of mine. And she says, all right, Peter, you just set up in the doorway. So I'm actually in the door jam, like the door's open because it's summer and, and, and it's a hot, it's hot outside and she likes a hot yoga. And so, um, first couple of moves, asanas, I'm like, God, I'm really hot, but I hadn't been there long enough to get sweaty. Like, why am I so sweaty? And so I lay down on my mat. I'm like, I'm just going to take a break here for a minute. And I just started sweating profusely. I'm like, why am I sweating profusely? Why does my heart hurt? My heart's hurting. What's going on here? I'm like, oh, I'm having a heart attack. I been on. I was National Ski Patrol and I worked on an ambulance in my life. I'm like, oh, I'm having a heart attack. Maybe it's a minor one. I'll just go outside and lie down. So I go outside and I lie down. I sit down in the chair first. I'm like, no, it's not getting better. And I lie down on the grass and I'm lying in the cool grass in the early summer uh, day. And I think this is getting worse. I've, it's getting worse. I got to go to the hospital. So I, I go to get up. I can't get up. I'm like, oh, today's my day. All my life, I've been praying for this. And today I get to go home. I'm like, cool. Wow. Um, so I'm, 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 I've been telling my wife and my kids, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm, I'm not. It's like, I'm inoculated against that. And so I'm just, okay, I'm dying. This is the, my, my only problem was that all these women is like all women and two guys, they're all going to walk outside and I'm going to be dead at the doorstep. Cause I'm literally at the doorstep of this place outside. And I'm lying there and I'm like, uh, they're going to find me, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just lying in the grass and it's a beautiful, a blue sky and I'm in the shade and, and, I, and I'm in a lot of pain. Okay. So I, I begin to meditate. I start, I go into my meditation mm-hmm. and I separate myself from my pain. And the next thing I hear is a voice and she says, Peter, wh- are you okay? You've been lying out here this whole time. And I'm like, no, Romy, I'm having a heart attack. She said, what are you kidding me? You're having a heart attack? I mean, look at you. I'm like super fit. And I was like, no, Romy, I'm, I'm actually not only having a heart attack. I, if I don't get to the ER now, I'm going to die here soon. And she's like, oh. I said, yeah, get a, go inside and get my, my friend, um, Michelle, a summer neighbor who's in, in, the, in the space. Like, go get Michelle and bring her out and I'll get her to take me to the urgent care. Should I call the ambulance? No, don't call the ambulance because it's too far away. So Michelle comes out, we get in the car, we're on the way to the ER and, um, we call, I call ahead. I'm like, Hey, and it's a small town. I know everybody. I know all the nurses, half the nurses have been my, in my church. I call up and I say, so it's Peter Pantagore and I'm, I'm having a heart attack and I'm on the way to the urgent care. And so I get to the urgent care center and he's like, before we get you out of the, out of the car, check you out. I'm having a heart attack. They give me a, a shot to give me a trickle through. They don't give me any morphine. They load me on a gurney. I get in the ambulance. I on the way to the Portland catheterization lab, which is an hour and a half away. I'm way outside the golden hour of, of survivability at this point. By the time I leave the urgent care center, I'm outside the window of survivability. And so um, the doc says to my son who shows up because he's living in town, say goodbye to your dad. And, you know, says goodbye to me. Looks me in the eye, squeezes my hand, comes really close, tells me he loves me. Um, and I, my wife's standing there. And I'm like, honey, it's, I'm going, you know, I'm going, mm. you're, you'll be fine. And off I go. And on the ride down, I'm no morphine. I'm meditating, holding, you know, rising above you rise up. You can use meditation to rise above pain. And if you practice this practice, it's not that hard. And so uh, you simply, basically, if, if you want to know how to do it, you look at your pain with your breath. 
and your mind. That's really what you do. And so I'm doing that and I'm controlling my pain. And, and then I hear the, the EMT, the paramedics say, we're losing him. And I know she's on the radio because I can hear her click, click, click. And, and, I, and I look up at her and she's surprised that I'm awake because I've been totally still this entire time, just meditating. And, and she puts on her game face. I close my eyes because my, my heart started hurting again. Like, like I, I describe it for all my yogi friends as Ganesh standing in tree pose mm. on my heart. And so it was an immense amount of pain. And when I went back in my body again, I was not in pain. I go into my meditation to control my pain and there is no pain. And I'm outside my body and I'm in the tunnel and the angel of death, who I now know is coming toward me. We love you. It's time for you to come home, come home with us. And so I go and I get care. I get lifted and I start getting carried away. And it's, and it's, but it's taken uh, time. I'm like, well, this isn't as fast as last time. Let me think about this for a second. So I kind of turn my eye away from the angel. I sort of separate myself from the angel and I look back inside my life. And I see my son saying, I love you, dad. Goodbye. And I think, oh, he's, he's only in his mid-20s. He's not ready for me to go yet. And then I think about my daughter, who's a little bit older than him, uh, married her high school sweetheart, got her, graduated college. He went to war, came back very broken. There's a baby. She just left him. There was a bad situation. Mm. I can't, I, and that's just happened. She just finally left him. Mm. And we've been, you know, in a dangerous situation. And, and now can, can I leave my brand new granddaughter and my daughter defenseless without a man you're needed still i'm still needed and i'm like damn it and so i turn my eye back and the angel comes rushing back toward me and i just turn away back and i go and and now i'm I'm, I, you know, they wheel me into the, the cath lab and uh, I get a stent and um, I meditate till I can't meditate anymore. And um, they give me something that's not an opiate to kill my pain, like eight hours later. And um, I wake up the next day and I'm still here. But I came back with like this renewed strength, I guess you could say. Mm. Like that's why I'm all in now. I'm, I'm all in. I came back the second time for my granddaughter. I came back for love both times, but I also came back like I got a, I got an extra dose of, I got turbo fuel now, or tu- I get a turbo power with jet fuel. And so like I'm, I'm suddenly committed to the path that I resisted from the moment of my first near-death experience, which is why I'm sitting here with you, Kevin. Yeah. Now you're talking about it. You're, yep. you're spreading the message. I'm out there. Got a movie coming, got a new literary agent, um, got uh, a thing going on with Amazon Prime on Monday. I'm getting shot for a, an episode of one of the, a Life to Afterlife. And uh, so it's, I'm, I'm not about my own me because it's not about me. It's only about the light. I am, I am not about, I'm not even me. I'm not me. The Peter, I live, I live like an avatar inside of this thing. Right. Makes sense to me. How many years later did the second death happen? The first? Uh, that was in 2015, and the first one was in 1981. Wow. Quite a bit of space in between. Um, there were mystical experiences in between those two th- events and mystical experiences that preceded my NDE in the first place. Um, so I, I want to say to your listeners that uh, near-death experience is a, is a type of mystical experience. It's 
there are other types of mystical experiences and are equally as powerful in individual lives. What type of experiences did you have alive? It would, it would vary from time to time on how it happened. Sometimes it was inside of me and I would travel outside. Sometimes it was just inside of me. Sometimes it was out, just outside of me. And when I say me, I mean my physical form. I went on this retreat as a guest and on the way home, there was a terrible car wreck that, we, that I witnessed. And, and I had my buddy stop the car and because I was trained, I took over the scene and there was nothing I could do for this guy. Um, and he was maybe my age, but he was pot bellied and, you know, a, a poor dietary life and kind of, uh, and so when I palpated him, I expected to touch soft belly. It did not touch soft belly. I touched stone like rock. And I thought, um, and he's unconscious, so he can't talk to me. So he's, I think he's bleeding out inter internally and he's, it's rapid because his belly is filling, because what happens is soft tissue becomes hard when you bleed out. And so I think he's bleeding out internally and there's not a thing I can do about this guy. And so somebody called an ambulance pre-cell phone days. I don't know how that happened. I was busy. And, um, and so while I'm waiting for the ambulance, I yell out, call an ambulance. Somebody gets that. It's the ambulance called. Yeah, the ambulance is coming. And so I, I, I don't know what to do. And so I kneel next to him and I put one hand over his forehead and one hand over his like number two chakra. And I just begin about this high off him. And I just begin to meditate. And I, and I just meditate with this guy. And mm -hmm. as I do this thing, my, my crown chakra opens on no effort of my own. Okay. Did not make any of this happen. It opens and, and all of the chakras open. And my whole interior is like getting hit with a, with an illuminating bolt of lightning. Waboom. And myself vanishes. I am, Peter is no longer present. When this pulse comes through me, I am only the light. I am only in the light itself. I, all sense of my self is gone and it pulses through me repeatedly like a kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. And I, and each space in between, I'm like, I'm back. Peter's back. And I'm, and I'm like, what is this kaboom? And so, so then the ambulance arrives and, um, and this thing ends and, and I explain to the EMTs what's going on. They put me on traction. So I'm, I'm holding the guy's head. And um, well, they collar him and we get him strapped to a backboard and we lift him up and we put him on the gurney and off he goes. And so I get back in the car and I'm sitting in the car and I'm telling my buddy about what happened because he's driving. I'm in the passenger side and I'm just telling him the story. And as I'm sitting there, I look up and I see a cross on the top of a church and I'm looking at this cross. Uh, it's like on a uh, uh, in the city somewhere. Uh, and, and I watch it leave the steeple and fly towards me. And when it hits me in the in the solar plexus and number three, it's like I'm exploded inside with pain. And now I have all of this man's pain, all of the pain that he was. I'm like, like somebody took a, 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 a knife and was whipping it around inside of me. Mm -hmm. And I'm writhing in the front seat of the car, screaming in agony. Um, it burns, it burns. And my buddy is like, he doesn't know this about me. I had never told him. Yeah. that I'm a near-death experiencer. And so he's like, what is this? And, and then over the next three days, uh, I was in and out of this. It would wash into me like, a, like a, a fountain of pure bliss. And whenever I closed my eyes, I was out of myself 
being carried by my angel across the vastness of uh, the universe until over, over two days, until I reached the edge of this place where the universe was, was the creation space of the universe, where the light of the divine was pouring itself out and reducing itself into the darkness. And inside the darkness is, is how the creation is made in the universe. So it's like this light is hidden inside of all the darkness and the darkness rolls out from the infinity of the light of being. And, and the darkness is not evil. The darkness is existence here. Yeah. Yes. And, and I hang there with the angel and I watch this happen. And, and as I see the light, I, say, I think to myself, the light. And as soon as I think to myself, the light, boom, I'm out. And, and meanwhile, in the real world, um, over three days, everybody's upset at me. I can't go to class. My wife is panicked. My friends are like, what's wrong with Peter? And so they did, they did an intervention. They were going to bring me to Yale New Haven hospital and the psych ward and wow. they gather and they're like, you know, Peter, we think that there's a problem. It's day three. We think mm -hmm. there's a problem. And, but, but I, but previous to that, I had finally gone to a class um, because I felt because this thing happened because I got popped out, like popped out and I'm sitting in class. And as I sit in class, I feel my, my ego sense of self shatters like like the puzzle of my of my false self breaks into 5000 pieces and i'm in the middle of class and and i'm now dissembled i have no self left and then the self reassembles and as after the self reassembles this professor his name was david kelsey it was a new a new testament theology class systematic theology he looks at me and i must i don't know what look was on my face but he looks at me and he calls on me and he says, Panagor? And he asked this question, I'm like, uh, can you repeat the question, professor? Uh, and he repeats the question, and I happen to know the answer. So I give him the answer, and the class moves on. I go home, and there's this intervention waiting for me. Something you probably didn't want to experience from friends and family. No, and I, what the deal was, I said, look, I, I'm back now. I know, I know, I said, I, it was my buddy Brian and my wife, and I said, Brian, I got to tell you, my wife now knows the stories. I got to tell you what's going on here. I got to, I got to tell you, I died. I had, this was all a secret. My wife knew nobody else did. No, my, nobody knew. So you had to tell them about 1981. I did. And I said, look, if tomorrow I'm crazy, take me to the, take me to Yale New Haven psych ward. If I'm not, then it's over. I know it's a mystical experience. This goes back to what we were saying about East and West too. Oh yeah. The chances of, you know, your friends and family being freaked out if, if you were Indian or Japanese are much slimmer than being an yep. American. Yep. And so, which is why I kept it a secret because who wants to be tagged a kook or a nut? Who wants right. to end up? I, I came this close, a, a centimeter from being committed. And I knew that it was a mystical experience because I was in the presence of God, right. you know? And so, I, I, but I also knew how it looked on the outside. And so the, this line between mysticism and, and, and insanity, it's a pretty thin line. People go, people, you know, in the, um, I want to say the Vipassana style of yoga, if you are not prepared, if you have any sort of psychological issues and you go on one of these retreats for a week, they don't yeah. let you in. 
Well, you can't get in because yeah. you can have what they call the rising and the falling away. You can, your Kundalini can pop open and destroy your ego and you're not prepared. Um, and you got to be prepared. Yeah. Dark night of the soul also could, could yep. happen if you have an experience and then you come back to regular life. And that sounds like you know, similar to what you had in 81. Yeah. It's like, well, what? I want to go back, man. <laughs> I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to go back. Imagine if you're telling your wife um, all the time, I want to die. I can't wait to go back. Yeah. Heaven's better than here. I, my beloved is God. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, how do you say that to people? My kids, when I finally came out of the closet with this and to the church, you know, I, you know, the whole community knew in a week, everybody's like, Peter died. And then six people in town came up to me and they say, I died too. So mm -hmm. now I know that there's a little community around me mm -hmm. and everybody's keeping it a secret. It was all told, you know, in whispers, I died too. Don't tell anybody. Um, and so, but then my poor kids, you know, like dad, dad wants to leave us. Not really. Uh, it's not, not you I want to leave. It's that I want to be in this incredible place of bliss again. Sure. You're going to too. It's like eating a delicious pineapple for the first time. And then somebody says, you can't have any more. You're like, but why? I mean, it's delicious. I want more. <laughs> right. And they say, what's pineapple? Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're trying to describe it. It's this, this <sighs> yellow thing. It's got a crown on it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> gotta be careful with it um yeah i you gotta cut it like this right yeah i have experienced a few satori's and uh similar you know not a near-death experience but you know you get a taste of that you know whether it's lights or just a feeling or just that feeling that you absolutely know that you are not the body yeah you are not the thoughts Nope. And it's like, yep. whoa, what's that? But then you get jolted back into ego-based reality. Mm -hmm. And ego-based reality is torture if you know that something else exists. And it doesn't want to die, so it doesn't give you access. The ego tries to stay alive. It's just, yep. it's just clinging. You know, it could whisk you off into a fantasy for 10 minutes, and then you come back and you're like, I was just in a fantasy for 10 minutes. But most people don't even realize they were in a fantasy for 10 minutes. Right. They're living in the illusionary dream. Yep. Meditation's a great thing. You want to break that cycle. That's the key. Yeah. This has been a great conversation, Reverend. <laughs> Rare, rarely do I get called that. I, I've made it a rule in my life that everybody called me Peter. And now that I'm doing this job, that I'm getting advised that you should go by Reverend. It gives you should go by Reverend. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, just a quick story about me. I when I signed up to get my doctorate, I was a very different person than I was when I graduated. Because all these things happened to me, and when, once I finally got it, I didn't want to even call myself doctor. No, why because I'm like, I'm like, it's it's stupid. I'm just. Kevin, I'm not even Kevin. I'm not even right. Kevin, not even never Kevin. mind doctor. Yeah, doctor Kevin. Right. So there was this incident where I ran it. I was at an event and I ran into the mayor of my city. 
And, you know, she's going around shaking hands, kissing babies, right? And so I introduced, hi, Kevin Reese, nice to meet you. And my buddy is like, why the heck didn't you introduce yourself as Dr. Reese? Yeah. And, he, and I'm like, I don't know, I feel, feel uncomfortable, you know? And he's like, no, no, you need to be Dr. Reese. That's what's best for business. That's, that's, right. he's like, you call a restaurant right now and you go get, you get the good seat. You, you do that doctor on them. <laughs> right. And so I, I, you know, I understood. And then I thought about oh, one of my favorite people on my journey, which is Ram Das. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, he was Richard Alpert. And then he got initiated as Ram Das and he ran with Ram Das for the rest of his life. Yep. And so I said, all right, well, Dr. Reese is going to be my Ram Das. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. So I, I came like up with a logo that. and I started branding myself as Dr. Reese. And then eventually when I said, I'm going to do a podcast, I said, well, it rhymes with peace. Yeah. So inner peace with Dr. Reese. I thought that was alliterative and wonderful. <laughs> so I just, I look at it as a complete gimmick, a complete role. It's just a role. So yeah. Yes, Reverend will help you if you go Reverend Peter. That's what that's where I'm right. headed. We just have to get over it because we know that it means nothing. But right. Well, that's why I was not using it because it means nothing, but but there is the PR, there is PR. And I, you know, I'm 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 enough in the world to to know how things work. I I adapt, I I dress the part. Yeah. We're here to play the role. You said it earlier. We're on the stage. Totally. And just play your role. And I think, you know, Reverend will help you. So thank you, doctor. And thanks for having me on your show, doc. <laughs> Appreciate it uh, very much because, because you're playing your role and I'm playing my role. That's and right. when we intersect, we strengthen the whole. We just dance. Yep. What a great conversation. Riveting. If you want to see the video version of this podcast or get other bonus material, then be sure to become a member of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. You can just very simply download the app on your phone, become a member, and your support will help us create an advertising budget so I can bring on some help and expand so more people can hear what Reverend Peter has to say, what Dr. Robert Morse has to say, what Santos Bonacci has to say, what Michael Cremo has to say, and the list goes on, so we can reach more ears and spread truth. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.